Wow, I really wasn't sure what to expect this morning as far as how many people were going to be here. Uh, with the time change and the start of spring break, I thought we were going to be a little bit on the low side, but thank you so much for being here. I'm so appreciative. For those of you who are new, uh, my name is Leslie, and I am on staff here. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Most of the time, I am back there with the kids, um, but I wear a few other hats too, and I'm privileged to get to share uh, in here with you guys, oh, four or five times a year. So thank you so much for being here. Um, and if you didn't know, sharing things like this is kind of a part of what we do here at Grace. We, well, actually, Matt hates it when I call it sharesies, but that kind of is what it is. We're kinda, we kind of have sharesies. We kind of all wear different hats and do all kinds of different things. So um, this morning, I get to come in here and have a turn with y'all. And I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. Now, no spitballs, no bad faces, no, no things like that this morning, okay? Okay, you got it? Especially you right there. All right, uh, the youth are in here this morning because Gabe is actually in Washington, D.C. with uh, a bunch of other students. So we're glad that you're here. Thank you. Uh, last week, Matt's message was entitled Lost in Translation, and he went over a couple of verses that he felt, and, and through study, um, he believed that sometimes we, we take these verses and we use them or say them or repeat them in ways that maybe aren't uh, completely lined up with their original intent. So maybe if you go back and you look at different scriptures within context and you see them through grace eyes, maybe they have more of a meaning than we normally um, attribute to those verses. And it was a great message, um, and you should go back and listen to it if you didn't hear it. But I think my favorite part about the whole thing was when he challenged us to not take his word for it right? I mean, that's not something you often hear a preacher say or, you know, a pastor say like, hey, don't take my word for it. Go study it yourself. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, people want you to believe what they tell you, right? But so this morning, um, my, the message, we, I decided to go with Lost in Translation Part 2 because what I would like to share with you this morning kind of goes along the same lines. Um, we're not going to look at uh, any like individual verses, but we're going to look at three stories this morning that I feel, at least in my own life, the original thing that I learned about them, the original message that I took home, doesn't quite fit with what I've learned about grace over the last number of years. And grace is something um, that's not just our name here, right? It's more than our name. Uh, it's kind of our culture, like, we want to have a culture that is gracious and allows people to have different thoughts and different opinions and different beliefs, and yet this can be a place where we can talk about those things and study for ourselves and pray and listen to other people and then kind of come together. And as Matt shared the verse last week, one of the verses he talked about was the where two or three are gathered, right? And if this group, who I know a lot of you, with all of your different opinions— with all of your different experiences, with your different upbringings, if we can come together and be reconciled and be unified, that really is miraculous. <laughs> that really is a miracle that the world can take note of and will listen to. And it's because of grace that we can allow those things, right, the differences. It's a lot. 
but it is what we're trying to build here. And so this morning, I want to take a look at three different stories. And in these stories, uh, we will find some things that we do have in common. Even though we have some differences of opinion and all that kind of stuff, there are things that we do believe in. In this place, we do believe that God's favor towards us is extraordinary. It's lavish, right? We believe that his love is without condition. And that's kind of, you know, Rick talked about that a few weeks ago, and we don't know where that rabbit hole leads, but it is without condition. We also believe that our humanity doesn't stress God out. Our imperfections, we do believe that we're not perfect. Um, I've got at least one child and another, and my husband here in the room, and they will testify that we are not perfect people. I am not a perfect person, right? And in fact, Because Jesus came and lived here as one of us and among us, he empathizes with our situation. He knows what it feels like to be in the mess, right, of humanity. And he lived and died and lived again so that we could be with him. And he left us a helper, didn't he, that is always with us. And so we agree on these things. And kind of talking about that part where we're not quite perfect There are definitely things in my life that I wish were different. I wish I had more patience. I wish I wasn't quite as explosive as I am sometimes. I wish I was a little more uh, calm and cool and collected, but I'm not, right? I'm not at all. And there are things in my life that I wish, now I I wouldn't want to completely give up myself, but... There are some things in my life that I wish could tr- be transformed, right? That I wish could be a little, a little different and maybe my life would be a little bit better and the people around me, you know, wouldn't have to worry about where my hands are going all the time, you know, or what's about to come out of my mouth. And I would imagine that you guys feel the same. Do you guys have things in your life that you wish were a little different? Like, like maybe you were just a little, I don't know, something more that transformation, and when I was thinking about calling this loss in translation part two, I actually thought I could have called it found in transformation, because I feel like with grace, these passages of scripture, these things that may have gotten lost, it's really in the transformation that comes with grace that I understand maybe a little bit more, right? And back in Grace Kids, uh, we have on the wall, we have the Grace Kids on the wall, and then underneath it we have wisdom, maturity, and grace. And that is because in Luke 2, 52, it says, Jesus kept growing wiser and more mature and in favor, or grace, that's the same word for grace, with God and fellow man. And we think, we think that if that's a good way for Jesus to grow up... <laughs> then I'm thinking that's a pretty good way for us to grow up, that that would be a great way to be transformed and to grow up, is in wisdom and in maturity and in grace. In Romans 12, 2, it says that we shouldn't be uh, conformed by this world, right, but that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that renewing is actually renovation, kind of like all the home improvement shows, right? Everybody, Anybody? Home Improvement Shows, Hometown, any of those? Love my Ben and Aaron, right? Love them. Um, and, and, and 
you know, they go into the shows, they go into the house, and once they've decided upon it, what's the first thing they do? Demo it, right? And demo day is a big day, and they get rid of all the old stuff. And then they bring in the new, right? They bring in, they take out all the old, and they bring in all the new. And I feel like that's kind of what this transformation process for us looks like. We have to look at things, experiences that we've had, things that we've been taught, and in there, among all of that, there's some old stuff, that doesn't fit with grace. And we gotta demo it, and we gotta get rid of it. And then we, we don't just stay there, we also bring in the new, right? And that's where the transformation is really fun and exciting. And we start seeing things differently. We, see, we might see scripture differently, we might see each other differently, we might see God differently. Hopefully that's happening in our lives. And with that, Let's just go ahead and get started. That would be the intro. Now let's go ahead and get started and look at our three parables that we're going to talk about today. All right, the first one is one that is so familiar to you. I'm sure you've all heard it before. Uh, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, all right? And it is found in Luke chapter 10. And the story begins with Jesus having a good day. The disciples have just all been sent out, and they did some really cool things, and they came back, and they were hanging out. And in verse 21 of chapter 10, it actually says that Jesus was rejoicing. I love seeing these little glimpses of his humanity. He was rejoicing. I think that's so fun. But in verse 25, a lawyer, a lawyer, comes in and wants to steal the show, all right? Now, this wasn't a lawyer like a DA or anything like that. This was someone who was studied and well-versed in the Mosaic Law. So this is someone who had a handle on not just the Ten Commandments, but all 600 and so of the other ones, right? And he wants to come in and poke holes at Jesus' theology. And so the man asks, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God or eternal life? And Jesus, cool guy that he is, knows what's at play. And he says, I don't know, why don't you tell me? What, what do you say? You have to do, you're the one who knows the law. Like, you tell me, what do I have to do? And so the guy, you know, very, you know, without hesitation, very quickly says, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was like, yeah, dude, you're right. That's it exactly. Now go do it. Left the lawyer standing there unsatisfied, right? Because he wanted there to be more. The Bible actually says that uh, the man wanted to justify himself. He wanted something more tangible than doing because he's thinking, well, I already love God. And then he's like, well, what does loving your neighbor be mean? And so he actually asks Jesus another question. And he says, well, then who's my neighbor? Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We're going to read it. You guys can read it up on the screen. So from verse, starting at verse 30, Jesus replied and said, A man was going down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he encountered robbers. And they stripped him and beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And by coincidence, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed to the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. 
And he came to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Just so you know, if those of you who have uh, kids here this morning, that's exactly the story that they're doing over there in Grace Kids today. So you'll have something to talk about when you get in the car on the way home. And as I was thinking about that lesson and what the kids were to learn, for you guys, it's probably something you've heard before, right? How many of you have known and heard the story of the Good Samaritan? And how many of us, when we first heard it and we were first taught, like the main message was, you know, you're supposed to be nice people. If you see somebody on the other side of the road, help them out, right? That was kind of the message. And it's not that that's wrong. That's not a wrong message. And in fact, if you take it one step further, as some of, some of the teachers in my life did, uh, they, they were sure to point out that the Samaritan and the, the lawyer wouldn't have ever even talked to each other. Okay, they were, they were sworn enemies. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have even, like, been on, they would have crossed the other side of the road just because one was a Jew and one was a Samaritan. And it wasn't that they had so many different beliefs. They both believed in God, right? But they had differences about where to worship. That was their difference. And so they argued. They believed in the same God. They have differences of opinion, and they wouldn't talk to each other. And, you know, I don't know. Nothing like that ever happens now. <laughs> in church, does it? Like, people don't argue over silly little things about where and how to worship, I mean, right? We've come so far. Okay, by the giggles, maybe not. So when we read this parable, and we see it through kind of the, the, the old, maybe earthly eyes, right? We can see that, you know, there's some good to be, to be found there. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's, good to be good to friends and people that you love. And, and you know, if you can occasionally help out an enemy, like, woohoo, good for you. But if we put on our new kind of grace glasses and we see things through the lenses of God's favor and his unconditional love, there's a little bit more to be seen here. You see it? Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who sees us from afar and he comes to us when we're beaten and bleeding and left for dead, naked, on the side of the road. And he's the one that comes to us. His sworn enemy, <laughs> right? I guess. I don't know. He comes to us and he bandages our wounds. He lifts us up. He takes us to a place where we can be cared for, and he cares for us. He leaves us in the hands of a, of a helper who has everything he needs to help us. Jesus is the good Samaritan. And if we tried to be, if we were trying to be the good Samaritan ourselves, like, we would get defeated and feel alone because I, as much as I want to, I had this conversation with my daughter the other day, as much as I want to help, I'm limited I, I can't help those that I love with everything that they're going through. I, I can't. I'm, I'm limited. And it would leave me feeling defeated if I didn't remember to trust that the one, this good Samaritan, the one that came and healed and helped me is going to heal and help her too. 
And I just have to be like a good little innkeeper, I guess, and just do the best I can with what God has given me to help those that I encounter, right? So when we see these parables, when we're looking at Scripture, we've got to get rid of the what, what can I do? That was what the, the lawyer wanted, right? What can I do to get saved or inherit the kingdom of God? And if we can get rid of that, if we can demo that and bring in and install the memory, the reality that it's all about what God has done for us, right? Then we can see through grace and we will grow in wisdom, and maturity and that grace. There's so much more to the story when we're looking at it through these grace glasses, right? So now that's kind of that story. And like I said, they're, they're doing that over there back in Grace Kids. And if you uh, have kids over there, be sure to ask them about it. It'll be really fun to see what their take on the whole thing. I may or may not uh, see they're acting it out back there, and I may or may not have given them a pretend hammer to beat up the guy. So uh, if your guy's the one, if your little one is the one that gets beaten up, I'm really, really sorry. Um, it's all pretend. It's all pretend. Um, anyway, so uh, moving on to our second parable beyond that. This one's a little different. Um, this is the parable of the four soils. Okay, and this one's different because I'm not going to teach you what the parable uh, means. Because, to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> I've been looking at it, and I've been studying it, and I've been talking to my friends about it, and I'm still wrestling with it. I am. i got to tell you the truth. I've been wrestling with it since, believe it or not, 1979. <laughs> that was a long time ago, right? That was when, uh, guys, you guys here in the front row, I went to a summer camp, and I remember... Uh, I don't remember a lot about that summer camp, but I remember the speaker taught this parable. And I remember thinking back then, something doesn't fit. Um, I also remember back then uh, that we, one of the songs that we sang, you know, every time, you know, we had a, you know, a main service, there was a song we sang. And, and way, way, way back in those old days, we didn't have, uh, you know, Maverick City, and we didn't have Elevation, and there was no passion. And so there wasn't all this great wealth of music. Uh, just about every song we sang was some sort of verse set to music, right? And I remember the verse that we sang that week over and over and over again, and it was Romans 8, 38 and 39. And I'll tie all that up here in just a minute. But before uh, we do that, let's go ahead and read Matthew 13, verses 3 through 8. Now, this parable happens to be in all three synoptic gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in every one of these places, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, there's also a section where Jesus explains <laughs> the parable. So it, it should be one that's easy to get, and for some reason, my brain just can't wrap my mind around it. Let's read it, and, and then I'll explain what I'm talking about. So Matthew says, Behold, or actually this is Jesus talking. He's talking to a loud crowd, a large crowd. Jesus says, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And they sprang up immediately because they had no depth of soil. But after the sun rose, they were scorched. 
and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. But others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times as much. And like I said, after this, Jesus goes on to explain what it means. And I remember back when I was in the ninth grade, way back in the 70s, I remember that speaker, the way he explained it, was he explained the four different soils as if they were four different receivers of a gift. All right? So you have a gift, and uh, it was offered to the first guy or the first, you know, the first soil, offered to the first one. And, and the guy took it, looked at it, and was like, no thanks. I'm good. I don't, I, I, I don't want it. It's kind of the first soil. And then the second guy uh, was given a gift, and, and he was given the gift, and he took it, and he was like, thanks. And then he threw it over his shoulder and never looked at it again, didn't even open the box. And so each time after he would explain, you know, the, the first gift, and the guy was like, no, and the second gift, and he was like, you know, I don't know, he took it, but he threw it over his shoulder. Uh, he would ask the crowd, now, do you think that person received the gift? And everyone was like, no. And so what he was trying to say was that it was the gift of salvation being offered, and that the first guy who didn't want anything to do it, you know, said no. And then the second guy, he looked at it, threw it over his shoulder. Did he really receive it? No. And so he didn't really receive the gift either. We're going to skip the third guy for a minute, and we're going to move to the fourth guy. And so the fourth guy, you know, is that fourth soil, the good soil that, you know, produced the 160, 30-fold. And, and, you know, so uh, the, the speaker was saying, so the gift was given to a guy, and he took it, and he unwrapped it. and um, he used it every day for the rest of his life. Did that guy receive the gift? And everybody was like, yeah, of course they did, right? So that was good. So that that, that guy we have definitely was saved. So the first two, definitely not. Third guy, or fourth guy, definitely. And then we come to the third guy. So the third guy, the, the soil, if you don't remember, is the one that's like the seeds grew up with the thorns and it choked him, right? So the third, the third guy who's receiving the gift takes the gift, opens it, uses it for maybe a year, and then loses interest, shoves it under the bed, right? Doesn't look at it for a while. It gets kind of dusty down there hanging out with the dust bunnies. And then he pulls it out again, and he uses it, and then he puts it back. And so this is the pattern for the rest of his life. He looks at it sometimes, and other times it's shoved under the bed not to be seen. Did that guy receive the gift? Well, I don't know. Seems like it. Well, I don't, but, he, but he didn't use it all. Most of the time it was under the bed. Okay. The speaker's point was we don't want to be in any one of the first three groups. <laughs> you don't want to be the one who doesn't receive it. You don't want to be the one who hardly uses it. You don't want to, you want to be the good fertile soil. I don't know. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if it's wrong. But as I took this parable out not long ago and was going to teach it to the kids, all of these thoughts kept swirling around in my brain. And it didn't seem to me to fit what I now know is grace. I don't know. It's hard for me. And then I remembered that song that I sang back there when I first remember really hearing about this lesson or whatever. And it was Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am convinced that nothing 
Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things to come. Nor, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I can even remember, for the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like I can hear it singing in my head. And something about the way he taught it and that song, it was like, oh, I don't know, it's not fitting. It's not fitting. And I started asking questions like, if God's favor is so extraordinary, if his love for us is unconditional, if our humanity doesn't stress us out, if our humanity doesn't stress him out, then why wouldn't he take care of the evil one who snatched the life away? Why wouldn't he do something? <laughs> if, if, if he's like the farmer guy, why wouldn't he plow the ground and get rid of the rocks so that the life could grow? I'm like, I don't know. I grew up in Central California where it is virtually a desert, right? But it produces some weird, like 40 or 50% of the fruit and vegetable that we eat as a country, but it's a desert. The farmers make irrigation happen. <laughs> and if God's the, you know, living water, why didn't he do that? <laughs> why didn't he do that? I don't know. I, it's hard for me. I'm a terrible person to have up here sharing with you, aren't I? <laughs> it's terrible. Does this kind of thing ever happen to you? Do you ever bump into stuff that's hard for you to understand and to wrestle with, and you've heard teachings, and you've had experiences, and you have thoughts, and then something hits you, and you're like, duh, I don't know. I don't know how that worked, and I had to teach it over there. I've told you before, it's like my Noah story. I don't know how to teach Noah to kids, right? Some of it's hard. The only thing I do know... <laughs> Here's what I do know. I know that we have choices to make, right? We have a choice. I can either go, I don't care. I'm just going to teach it the way I've always been taught it, and I'm not going to worry about it. Noah, cute little animals walking up the thing, we're going to teach it. Four soils, just, you just want to be the fourth one. Like, that's the one we can all agree on, right? We just all want to be the one that receives, right, and produces this harvest, but when we encounter this kind of mess that either causes us to struggle with scriptures or causes us to struggle with people, right? Because sometimes the struggle is with people. They believe this, and I believe that. What are we going to do there? And I feel like through these grace glasses, this lesson is less about the teaching, right? It's less about the par parable. It's more about what we get to choose to do. We can ignore the questions. We can just keep going. We can distance ourselves from the people that we're having the disagreements with. You go over there, I'll go over here, and let's just like choose to never talk about it again, <laughs> right? We can do that. And it's okay. It's not bad. It's not the end of the world. There's grace for that too. But I'm not sure that that produces the transformation that we're looking for. If what we're looking for is transformation and growth in wisdom and growth in maturity and growth in grace, I'm not sure that just scooching them to the side is what we need to do. Now, I do think that we can wrestle through some of these things with people that we love, with people that we trust, right? We don't want to just go wrestle it out with, you know, whoever on the street necessarily. <laughs> but if there's people that we love and trust and that we know has at least some of those same basic thoughts and principles, we can wrestle it out and we can be okay. 
And wrestling's hard, right? That whole idea of iron sharpening iron, I mean, sparks fly sometimes, but we're better for it afterwards. And I think that this is a place here at Grace, this is part of what we're trying to do, trying to be a place where we can grow in the maturity that Grace offers us, right? So that we can be committed to each other, working these things out in humility and gentleness and patience like Ephesians 4 tells us to. Let's demo the division, right? Can we demo the division and install the unity that grace has for us? The unity and the maturity. I think we'd be better off. I think that would be a great reason to come to church on Sunday morning when it's the first Sunday of spring break and the time has changed, right? That's a great reason to come to church. And let's trust the God that is in each of us, the grace that is in each of us, right, and all of us. And I think if we do this, I think if we do this, I think the world will take notice and be interested. All right, so that's enough of that. If you uh, ever want to share with me your thoughts on the parables of the, four, the parable of the four soils and you happen to know what it means, I would love to hear your version of it. Um, I'm open, I'm willing, I may ask you some questions, but feel free to send me your two cents. Um, I might give you mine. <laughs> so anyway, uh, enough of that. And we're going to move on to parable number three. Uh, this one is, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a long parable. It's really short. Uh, but I will tell you, it is one of the most powerful ones for me that I have learned and heard and experienced it. The very first time I heard it was, um, or first time I heard it being taught through grace glasses was I was sitting right over there, uh, what was it, 10, 12 years ago, and uh, Clark was teaching about this, and um, I remember sitting there going, wow, this is different. Um, Alan and I wrote a book, it, it's, it's the prologue of the book, the foreword of the book, whatever. Uh, it, it has impacted me. It's these few little words, but it made a big, powerful punch. It's one of my favorites. You may have heard me talk about it before. Um, if you haven't, you will hear me today, and there's a really good chance that if I talk to you again, you'll hear it again. So it's that important to me. It is Matthew 13, 44. It's just one verse. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. So again, this is one that I got to teach the kids over there um, in Grace Kids. And it was really fun. And I read them the verse and I told them what it was all about. So there's man, he's you know, walking along and he finds this treasure and then he buries it. He's so excited about it. He buries it. He goes off and he sells everything that he has. He gets rid of everything that he has and he goes and he buys the entire field, the entire field, so that treasure could be his. And I ask them, as I always do, I say, um, okay, so what do you think this parable means? Who do you think God, God is in this parable, and who do you think we are? Those are kind of the questions that, as we're going along, those are some of the things we talk about. And I said, so what do you think this parable is all about? You know, hands, you know, shoot up everywhere. And um, all of them kind of gave basically the same answer, which was, 
We're supposed to go and sell everything that we have so we can show God how much we love him, right? Is that what we've all heard before, right? That was what we learned. Give up everything you have so that you can show how much you love God. And I was like, oh, gosh, you guys are so smart. You're smart. I was like, let me ask you a question, though. Um, think for me for a minute about how, think about God. How big is he? Pretty big. How much does he have? Like, what does he ha- what, what, is he rich? Like, does he have a lot of stuff? Is he powerful? Like, is he, you know, all these things. I said, okay, so, so you think about God and how big he is and all that. I said, okay, now think about what's in your room. Think about your toys. Think about your treasures. Like, what do you have? If you sold all of those things, could you buy God? Uh, no, Miss Leslie, of course not. Right? Of course not. There's nothing we have that is enough to buy the treasure of God. <laughs> right? Let alone the whole entire field. We don't have it. It's not ours. And so the kids, so they were like, okay, so then, so I was like, okay, so if, if we're not the ones buying the field and the treasure and that, I said, who is? Who is the one? Like, if we think about the stories that we know about God, who is the one that gave up everything he had for, you know, a treasure? Who's the one who, who gave, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe his life? for something that was really good and that he wanted. And they're like, oh, oh, Miss Leslie, Miss Leslie. I know, I know, I know. God, Jesus, God, Jesus. They got it that quick, that quick. God is the one who found the treasure, okay? Now, last question for him. So then who's the treasure? What's the treasure? If God is the one that's buying the field, if God is the one that's giving up, right? What's the field? Or what's the treasure? What's the treasure? Who's the treasure? And they're like, kind of timidly, because <laughs> they didn't want to be, a, maybe because they didn't want to boast or something. We're the treasure? I'm like, yes! Now say it with conviction as loud as you can. We're the treasure. And I think, oh my gosh, it is so much fun to teach our kids from the beginning that they are the treasure. You guys, you're the treasure. You are. That God gave everything for. Right? And it's bigger than we think. It's more than we think. I don't, I don't know what to think about him buying the whole field. But I love thinking about it. I love thinking what that might mean about our God. I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I just know he did. It was about what he did, not about what I did. Once again, we're coming full circle. It's not about me and what I do, about what I give up. It's, about, it's not about my sacrifice. It's about the sacrifice that Jesus made. And it is so fun to think about. And it's so fun to teach our kids. And, you know, if you ever want to, like, you know, be a part of that teaching the kids, you just give me a call and I kind of might have a place where you can belong. Ah, shameless plug. And I also asked them, I asked them one more question. I said, okay, what did the kids do? I mean, what did the treasure do? What did the treasure do in order, you know, to be so awesome? They're like, nothing. Treasure didn't do anything. The treasure was just sitting there in the dirt, (laughs) right? Sitting there in the dirt. 
my uh, sister is married to a great guy, and uh, he likes to cook a lot. And one day he was cooking and doing all the things in the kitchen and going back and forth and really super busy. And my sister was just sitting there. And, you know, we've all helped my mom all our lives with the dishes and the chopping and all the things. And so my sister was like, what can I do? What do you want me to do? And her husband, cool guy that he is, said, just sit there and look pretty. And it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, sit there and look pretty, whatever. But that's kind of what we're supposed to do. (laughs) It's kind of what God wants us to do is sit there as the treasures that we are and rest in the fact that that's what God thinks we are. That's who he thinks we are. So we can rest in the fact that we are his treasure and he's done everything for us that needed to be done. And we can't add anything to it. So now, with these three stories... It made me think, as I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about how to wrap up, I obviously thought of um, an Oreo. (coughs) I thought of a cookie. And uh, just so you know, when I finish telling this story, there are Oreos outside for everyone. Because I want you to remember this. I want you to remember these three stories. They're like an Oreo. The first story where we learn to trust God, where we learn that he was our healer, where he's the good Samaritan, where he's done, he's done all that stuff for us. He bandaged us. That's like, that's like the first chocolate cookie, right? He's, it's solid. It's strong. It's the outside of the Oreo. We can trust him. On the other side of the Oreo is the story about us being a treasure where we can rest in him, we can, doesn't matter, like we're the treasure. We can trust him, we can rest in him. And in that mushy middle part, how many of you hate the mushy part of an Oreo? Some of you I know do. It's okay, it tastes good. That part, you can get rid of that part of the analogy. But in the middle is that mushy part of the wrestling. It's okay to wrestle when you've got the trust and the rest on the side, when you know who your God is, when you know how much he loves you, when you can come together with fellow believers, believing in his extraordinary love, believing in his uh, unconditional love, believing that grace is more than we can fathom. It's lavish. When we can come together with trust and rest and that mushy middle part and we can wrestle in there, it's okay. Don't stay there too long. Don't throw out the strength of the rest and the trust. Don't toss it out. Eat the cookie as a whole. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying, right? So as you go here today, I think if we do that, if we trust, if we rest, if we're not afraid of the wrestling, I do believe we can be transformed. I believe that we can go from here and be wiser and more mature and more gracious. Let's pray. Father God, if you guys would just stand up with me for a second. Father God, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. We started off this morning singing about it, Lord, and we leave today thinking about it. Lord, you are awesome. Thank you for giving us stories, stories that we can understand, and even stories that we can't understand. Lord, because it keeps it all kind of fresh. 
It makes us rely on you. It makes us rely on each other. And it gives our brains a workout when we try to figure it out. So God, thank you for all that you are. Thank you for all that you've done. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.